Okay, great. This morning we're joined over the phone by Andy Kowalczyk from uh, the 350 New Orleans and the Alliance for Affordable Energy to talk about the their proposed renewable, uh, oh wait, resilient renewable portfolio standard. All right, Andy, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you doing? Hey, Theo, how's it going? Going quite well. All right, so first of all, I guess you could tell me a little bit about the organizations that you're a part of that uh, you're working with this week and all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a slight co- correction on that. I am allied with the Alliance for Affordable Energy, oh, the Energy, Energy Future New Orleans Coalition. Great. Um, but I'm honored to be lumped in with Alliance for Affordable Energy any uh, any opportunity I can. I'm honored to be uh, working alongside them. Um, but yeah, I've been organizing with 350 New Orleans for about three or four years now, ever since uh, 2016, pretty much. Uh, when I moved to New Orleans. And I kind of transitioned from a more policy-focused approach in my organizing with uh, Citizens Climate Lobby that was focused on a price on carbon. But I kind of, I like what 350 New Orleans was doing, uh, more direct action stuff, and really digging in deep on a lot of the decarbonization issues. But I kind of focused on more of the city council path. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, my focus was how do we get more green jobs in New Orleans and in Louisiana? You can't go too far without running into policy barriers. So that's kind of what why my focus is more on policy. And can you talk a little bit about what those barriers look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't get through um, you can't get through to growing more renewable energy jobs without having more renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And when you have a utility that's not predisposed to actually go after renewable energy because it may not profit them as much, then you have to engage on those issues with the city council because they are the regulator uh, for our local utility. Mm -hmm. We're we're one of only two cities across the country, Uh, Washington, D.C. is the other one, where the city council regulates the local utility. So and that and that sort of provides a unique opportunity here for change in some sense because that municipal control is a scale that's maybe more e- easy to organize in in, in conversation with. Uh, yeah, I mean, easy as in we have the opportunity for it to be. It, it is a lot of power. Uh-huh. Um, the overseeing the local utility. It's not always a power that's exercised. Uh huh. Uh, and that's a that's kind of a whole other topic that has to do with uh, the ball game of politics. Uh-huh. But the same is true on the other side. We have a Fortune 500 company that has a monopoly on electricity in our city. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin. We have a regulator with a lot of power, and we also have a utility with a ton of power. Uh huh. Excuse the pun, by the way. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. I was trying to think about how to how to use it, but yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, okay, but but uh, in three fifty and 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 you y'all have been sort of working on uh, on shifting kind of the. It seems to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, both the way that that oversight happens and the kinds of ideas that are coming through the city council, which sort of brings us to where y'all are at right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have always been an organization that looks to uh, solidarity as a as a mode of getting what we're uh, we're organizing towards and working towards a diversity of viewpoints. Um, 
if it's not a movement that's focused on those sorts of principles, then it's not going to get too far because you're going to alienate people. Mm-hmm. And in truth, that's kind of how we ended up where we're at. There's a lot of people that feel left out in New Orleans. Yeah. And, um, you know, there wouldn't be a need. There wouldn't be a need for this sort of organizing and uh, to, to move towards these goals if it weren't a case like that. And you were talking about the Energy Futures Coalition. How, how did that come to be, and who's involved in that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a coalition in this incarnation. I would say this is kind of like Energy Futures 2.0. Okay. 1.0 was more kind of like, by the way, that's not the trademark phrase, and that's not something I ran by the coalition. That's <laughs> more they tried to kind of put it in a context. Okay. Um, so Energy Futures, like the first incarnation, was basically formed out of the fight against the natural gas plants over in uh, New Orleans East. Okay. And so it included uh, organizations like Vela, that's the uh, Vietnamese youth, uh, I forget what the LA stands for, but they are a very active group that organizes the Vietnamese community in New Orleans East. Um but they focus on a lot of things that there's, you know, a youth empowerment angle as well as helping people learn about uh, their, you know, citizenship tests and, and being, you know, naturalized citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were very active in this fight against the New Orleans East gas plant because it was in their neighborhood. And then the Sierra Club Delta chapter was kind of the, the group that organized them uh, so they were kind of like at the forefront of the no gas plant fight and also mm-hmm. Energy Future New Orleans and then Alliance for Affordable Energy, of course, and then 350 uh, joined this fight as well, as well as uh, Broadmoor Community Church. And then the second incarnation was kind of formed around this uh, renewable portfolio standard, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that started with just a comment at city council basically saying that if we can't get energy to do to build more renewable energy we need to have a policy that mandates them to mm-hmm. and, and so we kind of got we got the band back together basically. yeah that's and and, and a question that i have because I'm, I'm curious about how this is is proceeding in the relation of this but i know you know you're talking about the gas plant and of course there was the the whole debacle where energy had hired people to come and pretend to be community advocates and uh you know the that reporter from the lens who basically followed them into dave and busters and saw them getting paid and you know th- this became a whole conversation about how that um you know how misrepresentation was taking place in the city council but then since then councilperson moreno and councilperson williams have sort of proposed and endorsed a, a shift in how that oversight happens. Could you tell me like what the state of that, I mean, cause, cause what, because the two of the, the energy consultants were hired who had used to work for Entergy. Is that shifted or is that part of your decision in the, in the moment to start pushing this right now? So that is something that's shifting and it's something that, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. I would tell everyone to, to just keep an eye on that because they are expensive. I think it's about seven million dollars aggregate a mm-hmm. year that are paid on these are paid for these consultants, and that's a that's a bill item too. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that we pay for for them to oversee regulatory issues in New Orleans, but they are not native New Orleanians. Mm-hmm. Um, Councilmember Moreno 
has made a concerted effort to kind of build up the local staff for the council utility regulatories uh, oversight. That's uh, Curo mm-hmm. uh, or Council Utility Regulatory Office. So they will be hiring a policy analyst that will be able to look at some of the local policy issues and also kind of develop policies mm-hmm. around uh, utility regulation as well. But it will, it's kind of a slow moving thing. So we're looking at maybe like a, you know, four to six year process of building up that local office because some of it's actually due to physical space. They just don't have physical space to, you know, build up that office and have room for people to work uh-huh. in that. Um, some of it has to do with civil service requirements as well. So, you know, a blend of bureaucracy as well as, you know, just uh, New Orleans being New Orleans. Uh-huh. Um, so, but sorry, I think I derailed you a little bit because you, you were starting to talk about the Energy Futures Coalition and starting to work on the, like, the resilient renewable portfolio standard. Uh, so, so what is that and, and what are the elements of it? Sure, and let me give a shout out too. We actually work with a lot of really great, really well-respected um, national organizations too. Okay. Uh, Vote Solar is a group that's worked on state renewable portfolio standards across the country, uh, and we were joined by the regional director uh, of the southeast um, region of the country. That's Thad Coley, and he's uh, doing amazing work in Virginia as well as North Carolina and South Carolina. Uh, also, we had a gentleman from Union of Concerned Scientists that kind of consulted on a lot of this stuff in developing the RRPS. And then a uh, former regulator that was a public service commissioner for the state of Texas as well as director of uh, Austin Energy, the local uh, municipal utility in Austin, Texas. So, I mean, we had some of the the brightest minds and some of the most well-respected minds in the country working on this RRPS. But let me, yeah, while I'm kind of on a tangent, let me me go into what, what that RRPS was. So, renewable portfolio standards, there's about 30 states across the country Three U.S. territories and Washington, D.C. all have something called a renewable portfolio standard. And what that is, is that's a requirement. It's a policy requirement for utilities to provide residents and citizens of a certain, of a state or a city, in the case of Washington, D.C., to provide renewable energy and a certain percentage of renewable energy by a certain date. Mm-hmm. So it's saying, you know, let's say by 2025, we want 60% renewable energy in Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Um, why it's a requirement is that most times, the majority of times, by far, it's accompanied by a penalty if they do not meet that target. And that penalty is more than the cost of compliance. So. It's really in utilities' best interest to provide this. You know, sometimes you have gaming of the system by utilities, but it is something that's highly effective across the country. And I would not be putting my name on and I would not be working on it if it wasn't a good solution because there are also goals across the country for renewable energy. And those are not requirements. 
those are uh-huh. more in line with something that's a aspirational goal and I don't put a lot of faith in that. There are a lot of utilities that have goals and it's really, uh, I weigh them as far as how much I respect them by how much I respect the utility because it's more in the interest of the utility to make money for their shareholders than it is to meet these goals. Right. Right. So that, so that the sort of the, 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 having a regulatory element and having it like be enforced by the government some is kind of necess- is essential really because of how capitalism works. Yeah, absolutely. They will not do it on their own. And I, I mean, I, I heard this verbatim mm-hmm. from a former utility, uh, regulator and former utility director. He's like, I used to be at the head of a utility. We won't do it unless we are regulated. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, so what are what are some of the one of some of the elements of the of the RRPS that 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 come into that regulation? Yeah, sure. So, we develop our renewable portfolio standard based on community input. We had about fourteen uh, different events where we had the community show up. Sometimes we had city council members show up as well, uh, representing their district. And we really talk to people about what they'd like to see in a renewable energy standard. Uh, we kind of, you know, we offered some suggestions too to see how people would, you know, what people thought about some of these suggestions. A lot of people weren't aware that there were things like community solar, uh, where you could build a big solar farm mm-hmm. and then people could subscribe rather than having to put rooftop solar on their house. It's a very, it's a, a lot easier for people to access solar when they don't have to go through the process of getting permits and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, So, yeah, and like rooftop solar was a part of that, but we really wanted to come up with a policy that was right for New Orleans. And what we came up with is this thing called the Resilient Renewable Portfolio Standard. It leverages things like distributed energy generation uh, that's just kind of the the technical term for rooftop solar and things that are distributed across a city or across a region rather than something that's a large centralized resource. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of that from a resilience standpoint is rather than having one big extension cord like your transmission lines plugged into one resource, one really big resource, you have multiple cords going out to different places and going mm-hmm. to multiple different places. So if you lose power from one of those places, you don't lose the whole system. So that is the resilient part of that. And that's 10% of the uh, goal that we have, that we established. We established a goal of 100% renewable energy by 2040. and. We believe that that's very realistic because Washington, D.C. passed a a renewable portfolio standard for 100% by 2032. Mm -hmm. So we have in that, again, I was saying the the first 10% is based on resilience uh, measures like rooftop solar. Uh, Energy storage is in there as well. That's kind of like your Tesla Powerwall battery on your house. Mm -hmm. And then things like microgrids. And microgrids are, are smaller grids, but they can be 
attached to like critical infrastructure and critical care facilities like hospitals, uh, but also it could be attached to something like sewers and water board. And the benefit of having something like that is that rather than having to, to deal with a fuel supply or having to spin something up, sometimes you know generators take a little bit before they heat up and they're they're working efficiently. You can have solar plus storage and have energy storage like batteries, like larger batteries, paired to this infrastructure, and it basically comes up and on in within milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So this the second tier of that. Um, Sorry, this sounds all all long-winded, but uh, so the next one is kind of affordable energy resources. Mm -hmm. And then you get into things like community solar and weatherizing houses and energy efficiency, uh, things that are focused on lowering people's energy bills. And this is a big issue because bills are very high in New Orleans because they're very drafty houses and we don't have as aggressive of an energy efficiency standard as a lot of other cities across the country. And, you know, it gets at this issue that many who are in the know and energy efficiency world call energy poverty, and we are the second worst in the country as far as energy poverty, mm-hmm. uh, based on, you know, the average median area in- income level, as well as, you know, just drafty houses, and lower energy prices, but higher bills. There's kind of like a perfect storm with that. But, you know, that's the basic, that's what, you know, differentiates us from other renewable portfolio standards. And then the last part is kind of the more normal kind of renewable portfolio standard uh, where it's just big bulk power and that's, uh, you know, wind and solar. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't have a lot of wind in New Orleans and in Louisiana right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any, in fact, I think we have one wind tur- turbine throughout Louisiana. It's like a pilot project. Uh, but there will be a time in the future within the next 10 years where offshore wind will become competitive and yeah. we could put put all of our oil and gas workers that have been working out on platforms and building these big structures for oil and gas, you put them to work uh, building offshore wind infrastructure. Right, because already the offshore program, where is that, in Rhode Island, is using components that were built here that were designed for, for oil rigs that, you know, just totally, yeah. the, the, the technology translates almost, like, super easily. Absolutely. And I've had, like, through the grapevine conversations with um, Gulf Island Fabrications, who is a big group, they're based out of HOMA, that has a renewables division that worked on that project and is currently in a strategic, you know, they're they're looking at how they can still be in the market right now mm-hmm. uh, because it's a little bit tough. There's there's some projects that are, are caught up in permitting that are really big uh, off the coast of Martha's Vineyard and some other uh, northeastern states, but it's something that will be increasingly important across the country uh, and especially in the northeast states and you know as that builds to scale and as that becomes a more important generator of renewable energy um, people in Louisiana will start to 
you know, people as in like legislators and decision makers will start to look at that as a viable resource for Louisiana. And there's no doubt in my mind that in the next 10, 12 years, we'll be looking at uh, offshore wind turbines off the coast of Louisiana. So we just have about two minutes left, and I'm realizing there's, oh, there's so much left. No, 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 I, I haven't been time checking you, but, but I, there's, a whole, there's a whole piece about what's going on this week that I want you to talk about just for a minute. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would be really remiss if I didn't talk about that. So tomorrow, incredibly important for, for everyone listening, the city of New Orleans will be voting on the first renewable portfolio standard in the Gulf South. So the city council and the city's residents will have the opportunity um, to pass the first renewable portfolio standard in the Gulf South. And that is because of what I said earlier, um, the, you know, the uh, city council regulates the local utility. So we have this opportunity. They opened up a docket on uh, renewable portfolio standard about a year ago, and it's coming up for a vote with the City Council Utility Committee. Um, so if you can be there and you can speak out on it uh, and support us with our resilient renewable portfolio standard, that would be wonderful. Uh, just meet at 10 a.m. at City Council Chambers. Uh, usually lasts about three hours, and if you cannot be there, all your city council members go to 350 New Orleans uh, Facebook page. There's an event there for remote phone banking. You can just go to the, uh, the Voters, Voter Action Network webpage through that portal, click on your district, and call your council members. You have two at large and one district council member. And let them know that you want a community driven plan for a renewable portfolio standard and something that keeps the bills low because. Entergy has their proposal, and it really doesn't change a lot. It doesn't grow any local jobs, and, uh, you know, it would be a shame if we missed this opportunity. So please call your council members. Uh, please do what you can if you can make it out to city council. And, um, yeah, we can do it together. Andy Kowashi, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Theo.